So, Brad, in a few weeks here, uh, Beth is going to be working back in the studio again for the first time in 14, God, no, 15 months. And wow. uh, so I am I'm looking around the studio. I'm like, all right, Beth, so we'll start planning it out. And I look around, I turn literally turn around while we're on the phone. I'm like, all right, well, and this is because of like homeschooling and all this stuff during the school oh. year, you know, with uh, the pandemic. I turn around, I'm like, all right, well, you don't have a chair or a desk and you don't have a Mac and you don't oh. have a Wacom. But in great news, I have found a ruler that has tape on it that says Beth's Ruler. So we're all set. You're ready to work again. We've got all the supplies you need to be back in the studio, yeah. back at work. Yeah, oh. she, she can find She can use that ruler to find out just how long it's going to take her before she walks the hell out of there. <laughs> yeah, she can measure the days before she gets a new job. She's like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah. So, so I take it you used that all for like homeschooling type stuff. Exactly, exactly what that was. Yeah, one chair went one way, one desk went another way, a computer yeah. went this way and that way, and so I have to now gather it all back into uh, a work of, back into the studio. And, oh my uh, gosh! I mean, listen. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were all doing our best, like scrounging for computers and desk spaces and lamps and this and that to get the kids going. And yeah. uh, so I, I remember my mood. I was like, "This is fine. I'll deal with this later." But now it's later, and now I got to <laughs> gather it all back up again and make a working studio again. <laughs> the time is now. Yeah, the, oh yeah my exactly. Gosh. It's weird that we're at the stage though to have Beth come back in. I'm not. I don't know oh. that I'm emotionally ready for that yet. It's weird. I'm telling you, I know I'm not emotionally ready. I, as Tony and during pre-show, uh, I, I I went out without a mask on for the first time, and I felt so uncomfortable without my mask. I had to take, I had it in my pocket. I had to take it out and put it on because you know the CDC says you don't have to have the mask for if you're under certain circumstances. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I prefer the mask. <laughs> like I want the mask. Give me that. <laughs> give me my mask. Because uh, to a certain extent, it's also. It, it's it's kind of a good way to hide. Like the other day, my son said, you know, his coach uh, made a comment to him and he says, you know, if I hadn't had my mask on, he would have seen just how stupid I thought his comment was. <laughs> he says, but, but he says, all he saw was my eyes and, I, and, and my eyes didn't tell him anything. But uh, I, I, you had a, a perfect uh, phrase earlier. It's not like turning uh, something on and off. It's going to be a dimmer switch. It's going to be a long time before things are, uh, before we're just used to walking down the street again. I, I was telling you before that I had this conversation with my niece where all of us have been walking around for 14 months actively thinking about death and, our, and frankly, yeah. our own death. And so yeah. you can't just you can't just turn that off like a switch. That's like a dimmer switch that, that slowly like, all right, calm down, calm down. And it's all baby <laughs> steps of going out. Like, I, my wife is much more ready to get back out there, whereas I'm more like, yeah. God, do we have to see anybody ever again? I'm not sure that oh we... Oh, my gosh. We, need to do this yeah it's it's like my wife is we, i was telling you last week we're, we're getting the back deck uh, uh installed and and it's going up right now like they're they're really working on it and uh my wife is already on the phone to friends well once we get the back deck up you're gonna come over and we're gonna have a glass of wine and we're gonna do this and that, do that and i'm like you're inviting people over already can can you give it a, can you give it a rest Oh my God! You and I are the same person. My wife is like, oh. "All right, so I think we've got dinner with uh, with so and so and so and so." Dinner? Like, huh? Indoors? I don't know that. I, that she's like, "They're fully vaxxed. We're fully vaxxed." I'm like, "I don't know that I'm ready for this. I don't know." <laughs> I'm telling you, I went into the pandemic uh, an introvert. I came out of it a recluse. Like I. <laughs> <laughs> 
I want nothing to do with people now. You I, and I are Howard Hughesing it. We're just like sitting yes. in the back room of our mansion collecting all our toenails. We're like, this is our life now. <laughs> yeah, this is it. And 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 uh, these are perfectly nice people. But I'm like, really? We're we're having them over already. We we got to do that. And my wife is like, absolutely, we got to do that. Oh my god, that was I didn't I didn't verbalize it, but my attitude was also like, do we got to do this? Like, this is something we yeah. have to do. Like, I'm perfectly fine facetiming them. That was fine by yeah. me. <laughs> Zoom was great. I could I could mute these people on Zoom, but this is real life. They they get upset when you try to mute them. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, do we have to do this? My wife looks across to me and says, I've been looking at nobody but you for 18 months. Yes. We have to do this. <laughs> I know, maybe maybe that's the thing is that we've been looking at wonderful people that oh, uh, have yeah. a gorgeous smile and a, a, a face that lights a room. They've been looking yeah. at their troll-like husbands going, I yeah. can't wait until I'm vaccinated. <laughs> I've, I've got to see something different. I, dear God, I've got to see another face. And on that <laughs> note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about two trolls making comics. <laughs> and two trolls making a living from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of Webcomic and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the comic strip documentary Stripped. And this week's hour of comics advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. So uh, exciting news for folks that are just tuning in uh, after a couple shows away, perhaps. Uh, we now do a live stream of the show. It's called Comic Lab Live Gab. You can come yeah. watch the pre-show, the mistakes during the show, question and answers uh, after each segment. and Or not after each segment, after each chunks, we record the show in two chunks. And yeah. uh, I got to say, it's been really fun to do. And uh, all you need to do is just join us over at patreon.com slash comic lab at the $10 level. And Brad, tell them what they'll see from Dave Kellett and Brad Geiger on screen when they come to the live stream. Oh, well, they're going to see too. Well, they're going to see what our wives have been seeing, which evidently is <laughs> gets old fast. <laughs> but it's, it's really nice. It's a split screen. You get to see uh, me in my studio. Dave is in the podcast closet with a beautiful neon sign behind his head. And, uh, and, and really, I mean, you get to really see how the show is made with our hand signals and, uh, that we do during the show, uh, to let each other know, you know, what the next play is. Right. Uh, and, and just, uh, it's, it's just a lot more fun watching how this show gets made. It is fun. I, and what's fun is to see the interaction and reactions and little questions that pop up in the chat as we record the show. We don't obviously react to the chat, but every once in a while, there'll be a question or a thought that we springboard off of and work into the show. So that's been really fun to have on yeah. uh, Comic Lab Live Gab. So anyway, patreon.com slash comic lab over at the $10 level. Join us and come watch the show every week as we record it. Uh, Brad, our first question comes in from Chris oh. this week over at patreon.com slash comic lab. He says, hi, Brad and Dave. The show continues to be a great source of joy. I just re-listened to the last four Kickstarter bonus, uh, 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 bonus episodes of Webcomics Weekly. In addition to being hilarious, the story about Dave and Chris's dead pug had me in tears. It was very interesting <laughs> time capsule of 2014. Dave was oh. on the precipice of joining Patreon, oh my God, and releasing Stripped, and Brad mm. hadn't started Not Suitable for Work and just started teaching. How do you look back on that time of 2014? Brad, that's a really specific time in our lives and in our career. Do you remember yeah. that time period, first of yes. all? Do you remember 2014? 
Uh, absolutely. And I'll tell you why, because the more when I saw this question came in, I started thinking about it and everything started to call in the, start to fall into place. I'm ready to assert that 2014 may have been one of the most important years in web comics oh. and independent comics in general. All right. Because of everything that was going on right during that year, there was so much. And to start out, it was this. Uh, at, at By 2013, we saw ad blockers really take off. By 2014, uh, ad revenue had absolutely bottomed out. Ad True. blockers had devastated the ad revenue market, and independent comics, web comics, were ad-supported. That was the whole deal. We told people it was a free web comic. And what we meant was it was an ad supported web comic, but that's not great marketing. So we said free. <laughs> uh, when the ad revenue uh, bottomed out, we were scrambling hard to try to figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to make this business work, uh, because everything that we had been doing for 14 years was gone, had absolutely disappeared. Yeah, and uh, that that transition period too. We also, even though Kickstarter had been around yeah. since I don't know two thousand nine ish, I'm guessing uh, maybe two thousand ten ish for most of us. Um, we had only started to dip a toe once, maybe twice into Kickstarter, and then yeah. Patreon was just starting to flourish among. And remember, that was the period where uh, Patreon also had a lot of programming errors. So every like five months, it was like, "Oh, we may have accidentally leaked some data." You know, all the <laughs> stuff that they've since fixed. But so yeah. it was it was very tentative. It's like, are these guys jokers or are they starting something for real? You know, it was very much yeah. at that stage with Patreon. And then, like you said, the ad model was falling apart, um, actively falling apart, where people were like, oh, no, this is this is a problem. Um, and I remember in 2014, we also started to have the rise in package shipping rates, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it meant oh, that yeah. certain types of shipping got more expensive, especially internationally. I remember they started raising the shipping prices for international stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those periods where... Much like uh, uh, the 2005 to 2007 range, where we just had to reevaluate how we were doing business on a, on a pretty significant scale, and uh, so for me, it was a it was a big transition year. Absolutely, and I'm so glad you brought up the 2005 through 2008 because that's the other thing that had to be in place for 2014 to work, and that was this social media was cresting and was at about its most yeah. powerful point. That's right. But but they hadn't start to uh, got to the place where they were trying to monetize it where they are now, where you can very clearly see like on Twitter and Facebook, once a post takes off, they start to throttle it back because they want you to pay for that promotion. Uh, this hadn't happened yet. Social media was at full organic strength. Yeah. And so you could really get a wide reach on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, you could really get a wide reach in 2014 uh, without getting throttled by the algorithm. And that needed to be in place too, because as we were switching from an ad model to a crowdfunding model, Kickstarter, Patreon, and so forth, that had to be in place. It, it was a necessary ingredient. ingredient Social media had to be at full strength. We had to have full organic reach. All those things lined up perfectly to make 2014 this huge shift in webcomics 
And after the shift away from ad model to crowdfunding, I am going to argue that things have never been better for people that do what you and I do. Yeah, I agree with you. I feel like uh, this is a better and more stable period yes. for income for cartoonists that do what we do. And and is a har harbinger harbringer har har harbringer har harbinger harbinger I think har, I think it's har harbinger no harbinger sounds like a cocktail from the fifties did you want a Harvey harbinger <laughs> it can't be harbinger is it harbringer no har harbringer har I thought it was harbinger harbinger har har <laughs> Oh my God, English! It's new to me. I've never used it before. Well, it is Harbinger, not Harbringer. Let's yeah. see. Harbinger. Oh, Harbinger. Harbinger. All right. Harbinger. <laughs> it's Harbinger. <laughs> oh my God. I'm I, the like Harbinger. I like Harbinger better. <laughs> Harbinger. I love Harbinger because it honestly sounds like a 1950s cocktail. All right. Do yeah. you want your cucumber bruised and your Harvey Harbinger? All right. Great. <laughs> And how do you take that with extra lemon? Sure, sure. All right. What, wait, why is he from Maine? What, what happened to this bartender? <laughs> oh, I love the bruised cucumber. I won't drink a whiskey sour unless there's a bruised cucumber somewhere nearby. <laughs> anyway, I, now I totally forgot my thought. What was the what was the harbinger? <laughs> oh, I remember now. It was a harbinger of I think more stable days that like uh, yeah, that yes. I feel like now. With distributed fundraising with Patreon yeah, and with distributed project fundraising with Kickstarter, it's not everything in terms of our income, but boy, is it sure a solid base, you know? Yes. And yes. one of my favorite lines that Rich Stevens of Diesel Sweeties said many moons ago, like 15 years ago, he said, I have to be fired not by one editor, but by tens of thousands of editors Right. And a version of that statement is also true with Patreon. It's also true with yes. uh, with Kickstarter. Yeah, I can turn off one reader. Yeah, I can somehow piss off one another reader, but mm -hmm. I'd have to do it with uh, with X number of people to lose that base income. And so it's been yeah. a really solid foundation uh, Absolutely. for the last couple of years. Yeah, that's why I'm going to say that I think 2014 was uh was a watershed moment in webcomics and it's a it's a moment that I think we're going to have to remind ourselves of. Because if you would have uh, uh, jet rocketed in at 2014 into either one of our studios and said, pay attention, this is going to make everything better. We would have been like, no, it's not. <laughs> Nothing is better right now. Everything is on fire. This is the worst. Uh, yeah. And and it, it we're, and by the way, it, we, it would be uh, it would be silly not to think that we're not going to have another 2014 and we're going to have to make this all up again as we go along and it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Cause I'm telling you 2014 uh, sucked and every year after that has been fantastic. Well, any of those transition years suck because I would rem I remember being yeah. on the phone with you or Scott or Chris or any one of dozens of other cartoonists oh, that we talked yeah. to going like, shit, I know how to do an ad network. I know how to make an ad network work across my site. Right, and also, right. the reason I blog on my website is to potentially get more clicks to sell one more series of ads for another page load. You know what I mean? And so yep. it totally changed yep. the way we do it when you don't need to do stuff like that anymore. I mean, the whole reason yes. why Penny Arcade had the comic after the blog post was in part because it doubled their page counts, you know, for, for their advertising. And so... Yes. 
all of that got thrown out the window because suddenly you didn't need to think what well, you, you were terrified of it, but you didn't need to think about that. And so uh, what do you think, Brad, has been the 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 crux of the change for you, Brad Geiger, since 2014 with the use of Patreon and Kickstarter as the, the base model for your business um, in the last, I don't know, seven years? What has been the crux? Well, if, yeah, if, if like I what, understand... What's been the major change between pre-2014 oh. Brad and post-2014 Brad? Absolutely. Th th Besides the rock that... hard abs. I mean, what's been the main... <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, no, it, it was this. When, before 2014, my uh, goal was to cast a broad net, right? And that's because that's the reality of an ad-supported system. You want to get as many people into the tent as possible. So mm -hmm. there was no swearing in Evil Inc., uh, right. There was, uh, so, uh, there certainly wasn't any nudity or any sexually suggestive things in Evil Inc. Uh, the, the types of topics that I talked about in my humor were something that you would consider uh, at maybe, you know, primetime network television standards. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, what happened after that is that I became much more focused. I was able to focus on more of uh, an adult comedy uh, approach. I could go uh, PG 13 or even R rated and eventually <laughs> X rated. Uh, but I was able to uh, uh, develop a much more niche audience. I wasn't worried about casting a broad net anymore. And I started focusing on making those people happy that were really, really into this thing that I was doing. And that was a much more narrow base. Oh, my God. I'm so glad to hear you say that because that is virtually identical to what happened to me. Uh, yeah. If you can imagine two columns of income, one being Sheldon, one being Drive, Sheldon yeah. reached a far larger audience and I think still does, actually. Uh, I haven't looked at it in, in the last couple of weeks, but in Sheldon still reaches a far larger audience. With, like you said, broader humor, no cussing, family appeal, all ages appeal. Uh, Drive appealed to uh, the geeks, the nerds, the the, the story-driven folks that loved a good tale, that kind of thing. But it was mm -hmm. a smaller audience. But the income levels, basically from 2014, <laughs> what, what? My my audience is interested in, in good tale as well. It's, it's funny how you mentioned that. <laughs> Jeez Louise, what a class act. All right. <laughs> so... But what's funny is when you went from when you went from uh, ad supported to basically how do I describe it I guess fan supported yeah. the the incomes reversed where Sheldon became less drive brought in much more through Patreon and frankly much more expensive books on Kickstarter and uh it's been interesting that the story that I started because I wanted to write it for me, it was a passion project of something that I was like, if people like it, great, but I'm going to do it because I need a break from Sheldon, uh, yeah. has now turned into my major money spinner. And Sheldon, since the post ad model has fallen, is the lesser of the two, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and Dave, we were talking uh, about this pre-show. This leads right into my next topic about okay. change and how things uh, are 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 being driven by change. Uh, I've got a prediction to make. Okay. <laughs> All right. And this comes back a little bit to a topic that we just we we've kind of uh, wordless wordlessly decided we don't want to go back into, and that is okay. NFTs. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna delve into it a little bit, and I'm gonna make a prediction about okay. cryptocurrency. And first, before and since since I'm talking about adult content anyway, it's just too much too much of a good transition to miss. Uh, 
How many technologies have we seen in our short lifetimes and before were driven by adult content? I mean, you can make a big, you can make a big oh, yeah. uh, argument for uh, photography early on, <laughs> you know, for photography, it was being driven by absolutely uh, the VCR, VHS uh, recording. VHS, was absolutely. Driven. DVDs, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Um, at, at, at the internet itself, that's a, uh, that is a slam dunk. I've, e I've even found uh, uh, things like closed captioning. Because a lot of people want to watch their movies without the sound, because no, so nobody will know that they're watching the movies. So I've got this article from the Thrillist, uh, Thrillist.com, saying uh, that uh, adult content was essential in driving closed captioning and online payments. <laughs> quote for the people out there who still pay and subscribe to websites you can thank richard gordon in the 90s gordon founded electronic card systems which pioneered credit card transactions for a wide range of adult sites remember the pam and tommy lee tape from 1998 gordon oh. struck it rich by taking a commission of the processing sales so online payments Oh, I see where you're going with crypto. Okay, so let's jump into this then. So you're so saying, here's the deal, and and okay. and, and of course I'm seeing this a lot uh, from uh, I've got a lot of not safe for work creators on my feed because number one they post excellent content, and number two I want to keep an eye on what's going on. And there's a lot of people that are wringing their hands over, uh, and, and mainly there's two things. There's uh, you know Mastercard announcing that they're going to pull back on any uh, uh, any potential charges that involve adult content. And also Apple is really cracking down on apps saying like, for example, in the last week, eBay is saying that it will no longer be involved in selling uh, the, uh, uh, anything that's adult content uh, because- Oh really? Uh, I didn't are, see that announcement. Uh, is that true? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Uh, that's what I'm That's what I'm seeing. I, 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 is it true? I sure hope it's true either that or I'm spreading rumors, but I'm, I'm taking it as, as verifiable. But oh, good. KVH is right there for me in the chat. That uh, pointing to the article. Thank you. Okay. Uh, but a lot of people are saying that this points back to Apple saying, listen, if you want to keep your app on the Apple store, you can't have any adult content. And this has caused a lot of it, it's why Discord all of a sudden came back and pulled back a bunch of rules on adult content was because Apple told them you can't have that if you want to be in the app store. So two things are going to happen. Number one, uh, I, I, I'm an Apple guy, by the way, since there was an Apple to be a fan of, like early 90s, 1991. Yeah, you were a very early adopter. Uh, I, my next phone, I'm, I'm telling you, unless something changes, is going to be an Android because I really don't want Apple controlling what I can have on my phone. And uh, since I'm doing so much with Not Safer Work Comics, it's going to be in, uh, important for me to be finding the, a, a, a playing ground where I'm not being blocked from. So you could start to see a big shift away from Apple as people get uh, tired of this. But even more importantly, and I'm much more confident of this one, uh, as Apple and credit card companies continue this uh, pressure, what's going to happen is you're going to see a big shift to cryptocurrency because cryptocurrency is not controlled by banks. Right. They're not controlled by these institutions that have uh, rules about chargebacks and tracebacks and all this other stuff. Uh, 
you're going to see people as the, if this continues, people like me who want nothing to do with cryptocurrency are all of a sudden going to become very interested in cryptocurrency because it's going to be how we do business a- away from the banks. <laughs> and yeah, you're going to see once again, adult content driving technology because we're going to, uh, people like me are going to say, listen, if, if, if you can't use your MasterCard, I'll take Bitcoin. I'll take whatever the, the next thing is. I'll, I'll take cryptocurrency. Uh, and it uh, just as a way to let my, the people who are uh, entitled and are, you know, are legally able to access my content uh, to give them that opportunity to do, to, to do so. Once again, we're going to see adult content driving technology, and it's going to be the breakthrough. My that's my prediction of cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's it. I I did notice uh, from an email just yesterday, and I only skimmed it, but that PayPal is going to start handling uh, crypto, which I thought was interesting because they're a, a, a considerably sized online bank. I mean, essentially, um, yeah. What's interesting though for me is uh, I. I don't know how cryptocurrency makes the leap to a wider. I mean, you're basically making the argument of how it makes the leap, but I don't yeah. know how it makes the leap from basically what I see as online bro culture and like the Russian mob selling weird things online. That's what I feel like cryptocurrency is right yeah. now. You know, it's like it's a it's a bunch of tech bros each talking each other up on like how Ethereum or Bitcoin or Dogecoin <laughs> is doing. And also the Russian mob selling drugs online like that. I feel like that's what cryptocurrency is right now. Yeah. How do you get like mom and pop stores to start being like, yep, I'm selling ice cream and we accept Bitcoin. It just seems like a big leap emotionally to go from what we are right now with cryptocurrency versus what you're envisioning, which is the average person buying into and using cryptocurrency. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, that's, that's what happens pretty soon. Uh, people like me are all of a sudden going to get a cryptocurrency account because it's like, well, geez, I want to access this stuff without worrying about what MasterCard thinks of my purchase. Mm -hmm. And then now you've got it. And once you've got it, then you're going to use it. And you've got enough people who want to use it. A merchant is going to say, Hey, these customers want to use it. I need to be able to access it. And then it just snowballs like that. It's, it's, it's supply and demand. Yeah. I, uh, well, I listen more power to you. I, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know that the adoption rate will be, I guess. Okay. Let's say, let's say there's a Venn diagram of here's all your existing readers that are currently paying into your Patreon using right. their visa card or their MasterCard, Right. And mm -hmm. here's the potential of, of, or no, here is the audience of, uh, of cryptocurrency users on the other side. It feels like that Venn diagram has a, uh, not a, a tiny, but a very small uh, crossover. Like yeah. I'm, I would be worried for you that you'll never get to 100% crossover in that Venn diagram where your current Patreon backers who actively love you and support your work but yeah. are willing to dive over into crypto. Um, but maybe you're saying that is the transition. It's not, it's not just you, but, it's when- yeah. That's what I mean. It's it's like, okay, let's let's say that, I, and I don't expect this to happen. I, I don't, because the other thing is I noticed one thing about not safe for work artists, very, very nervous people. <laughs> they, they get very wound up. So I want to make it really super clear that I'm not adding to that. And I'm not saying that this is going to happen immediately, you know, that, that MasterCard's sure. going to crack down. But let's say as this happens and it becomes harder and harder to do that. If I've got a Patreon uh, uh, membership, 
then all of a sudden my credit card, for whatever reason, says I can't take. And all of a sudden, it's just as easy for me to get it through crypto. And and then and and if if it's and the next step is making it easy to sign up for a crypto account and so forth. Uh, if I can do that, of course I'm going to dip my toe in. But that's all it takes is dipping my I toe. It's yeah. just the same thing that made Patreon work. All it took was getting that, that your reader to sign up for a Patreon account. Once that happened, they eventually became my backer too because they right. already had the account. Right. So you're saying it's a bunch of people dipping the toe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. All I, we got to do is mean. get them to dip the toe. And this is one thing that'll make people dip their toes. Okay. Yes. Argument made. I, I agree with you. And I think this is a, a, an interesting point is that it's not, you're not saying it's an on off switch. It also is a, a slowly rising tide of people yeah. dipping their toe. Yeah, in. absolutely. Um, uh, and, and much like Patreon, there is a mutual beneficial society where if five people or five creators get their audiences, then they're all starting to, you know, uh, um, spread the, the love on that in terms of as just like as happened with Patreon in 2014. Um, that's yeah. an interesting point, Brad. I hadn't yeah. uh, because this is so removed from my world. I had not considered about how cryptocurrency could start to impact the way we do what we do. I will say yeah. it's funny that Rich Stevens has come up twice on the show, but Rich Stevens, I don't know if you know this. He was accepting Bitcurrency for T-shirts and stuff way back in the day. <laughs> and it, it makes me wonder, like. Someone who had bought a T-shirt from him in, I don't know, 2020, let's say 2014, that yeah. pizza could now buy a house or that T-shirt could now buy a house in cryptocurrency. So it's interesting. Yeah, how, yeah, uh, he, that, he was he, he, he we might find out that he was smart to uh, to jump in. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. All right, Brad, well, I want to turn us into the next topic today, and this is something that I wanted to bring into the show because... yeah. Our dear friends at DC Comics are in for another turn on the roller coaster that is the wild ride that they've been on the last five or six years. Yeah. Uh, uh, so AT&T having gone in big, like, we can do it. We can build a 5G network and launch a streaming service are yeah. now going, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And they're spinning off Warner Brothers and DC and all that sort of stuff into yeah. a new combined business with the Discovery uh, Network. And so that is going to be a new entity, uh, oh. of which AT&T will own 70% and Discovery will own 30%, but it's a separate entity. Um, and uh, so what's interesting for me is that the sort of hapless um, uh, uh, luck that is DC Comics is like the redheaded stepchild being dragged around as the corporation buyouts. And uh, yeah. I think Marvel is set for good. I think Marvel is at Disney. Disney mm -hmm. has enough cash flow to, and they've made that work. It's not going anywhere. But DC is in a whole different ballgame where the corporate masters keep changing and none of them really give two shits about the print side of the business. Right. You know, right. 
And so I wanted to ask you your opinion as an outsider looking in, which I am as well. Mm-hmm. What do you make of what is happening to DC Comics and what is going to happen, more importantly, to DC Comics as this new spinoff between Warner and Discovery happens? Man, I'm telling you, it's I'm, to me, the writing on the wall is that we're going to see the end of monthly floppies from DC within this year. I mean, really? within, 2021, within 2021, you think, wow, on, that's not, a big prediction. I don't know. Yeah, well, that's my predict because <laughs> what's the, I mean, they're, they're not going to immediately come in with, when these companies buy these entities, they don't, uh, the first thing they want to do is make a big change so that they can come out good at the end of the year on the bottom right. line. Right. They right. want to start firing people. They want to bring their own people in. They want to make big drastic changes. Uh, I was surprised when it didn't happen uh, from AT&T. But I was too. I think it was so small that it didn't get on their radar. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, but keep going, keep going. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I think the day of the, of the monthly floppy from DC comics is quickly uh, going to come to an end. And when that happens uh, and comic shop owners now have half of the stock that they used to have to uh, put up on their shelves, that's going to be another really big nail in the coffin of comic shop owners. Yeah. It's boy. There's a lot to talk about on this topic. And we've talked about it a couple of times over the pandemic, but you know how we always say, Brad, that when you're designing or or trying to build a comic, an independent cartoonist income, what you want is a lot of legs under the table. And the idea is that if any one of those legs get knocked out, like for me, it was Comic-Cons this past year. If that leg Mm -hmm. gets knocked out, you still got eight other legs under the table, holding that table up and it's still steady. And for me, that entire industry of comic book shops, of which DC is part of the story and, and comic book shops are part of the story, There's a lot of legs within the course of this pandemic and within the course of corporate buyouts that are getting knocked out, very quietly knocked out. This leg is going, this leg is going. And I I genuinely, I have fears for this entire business model that you would never set up now. If you were going to set up a business model, you would never go, we're going to print these floppies. They're going to cost X amount, but you're going to get 30 something pages. They're going to be distributed yeah. through Diamond, which is a company run by one 75 uh, year old in a in a warehouse. And it's all paper based and it's the worst. Right. Yes. And then it's distributed yes. to these businesses that are always have tiny margins around the country in weird mm-hmm. rent areas in the U.S. and in Canada. And uh, like none of this makes sense anymore. And the fact that yeah. it is barely holding on does not bode well for the next one to two years, I think for the comic shop industry, that whole, the whole ecosystem of that industry, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's easy to see it's going to be coming down and Marvel, I, I would imagine uh, is going to very quickly uh, figure out that they can get their stuff out there uh, through different places. Uh, they're not going to, uh, you know, kind of harbor this, this uh, longstanding uh, fealty, to comic shop owners that has really kept the comic uh, shop uh, retail business uh, afloat for the past several decades. And and you're going to see that change very quickly. Well, one thing uh, that uh, exhibiting at San Diego Comic-Con the last three or four years, I don't know if I've told you this, my neighbor right sharing a wall with me is uh, Disney Publishing, um, which is the the bigger arm of of which Marvel is now a part of, you know, a subset. Anyway, 
Disney Publishing is one of the largest children's publishers in the world, and they yeah. are uh, highly profitable and they do well for themselves. And I think Marvel in that realm is fine. And one of the reasons why they they partnered up uh, in a non-diamond distribution model is because they've got the goods. Like Marvel is mm -hmm. OK. They're going to survive and Disney's going to survive holding on to that Marvel publishing also because – there, there's a there's a ton of in-house stuff that, that Disney can do with Marvel in the publishing world that's not necessarily floppies, not necessarily, um, uh, you know, the traditional model. But DC, I feel like I, I keep wanting to say it's like the redheaded stepchild. I don't feel like they have that support system within Warner. And I yeah. like you, I think AT&T didn't get rid of D, uh, uh, DC Publishing for the main reason that it was too small. They were trying to set up HBO yep. Max. They were trying to get that going. Yes. No VP was actively like, well, how do we fix DC Comics or how do we get rid of it? <laughs> they just didn't care because the number was so small, right. you know? Yeah. It was it was literally a rounding error for uh, the craft service table on on uh, Justice League, whatever, you know, whatever movie you want to pick. Um, yeah. And so no one focused on it. But I feel like the axe is going to come at some point. It's it's. It, yeah. It's going to land for them. And I'm not excited to see what's going to happen to that entire side of comics. No, no, no. I think I think that the writing is on the wall. I mean, listen, it's it's easy to see how this ends. What's more difficult to do is to see how this would continue. Right. I mean, I, I yeah. my only hope for DC Comics in print in any iteration is that they switch uh, to something that I've been kind of talking about for years and years now where uh, the monthly floppies go uh, into being digital comics only, if that. And then, uh, although at this point, I, I think that's also dead. Uh, and then what happens is instead of all of that, what we get are uh, uh, graphic novels that come out at a much slower pace, mm -hmm. probably bigger graphic novels. Right. And the Agreed. first time you grab them, uh, is, it's and all it's new as content. a graphic novel. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a floppy that's been reprinted. It's like, this is the first time you're seeing this story. It's going to be more book publishing. That's what I see Marvel and Disney going towards already. Yes. You can see that in yeah. the way they're publishing. Yeah. So I agree with you. I, I personally, uh, I'm a little bit surprised that neither Marvel nor DC has made a corporate decision to say, let's do kind of a Shonen Jump or a manga telephone book of like, yeah. hey, kids, here is a, a $10, $15 telephone book, black and white of yes. a bunch of Batman, a bunch of uh, Green Lantern, whatever, you know what it is. Uh, all of the 10 page stories that will eventually be collected in a graphic novel, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like that model would work, but uh, especially like in a Target, for example, or a, a Walmart, you could sell those puppies, you know, hand over fist. But anyway, all that being said is, like you, I, I even though I disagree that it's going to be gone within this year, I think even if I'm wrong, it's somewhere in the two to five year range, and then oh, it's yeah. gone. I do not know how comic book shops survive, and optimistic no. is five years. Um, in which case, like it, it raises the question, what happens to something like San Diego Comic-Con or the Eisner Awards or, you know what I mean? Like there's a whole, uh, you'll, I know you're going to say, well, it'll survive. It's going to feel very different without a, without that kind of model existing. I don't, I'm not sure I'm, I agree with you there. I think comic conventions have moved away from those vendors so much and towards, you know, celebrities and photos and, and cosplay and so forth, sure, which is culture, fine. broadly speaking. Yeah. 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 That, that I, I think the fact that you don't see comic shops on the floor 
uh, and and what it, it'll coalesce into a number of people that are you know specializing in old comics, right? You know the right. long boxes and stuff right, like right, that. Right, right, right. Uh, I think you'll still probably see that, uh, and and like from from one or two that just kind of survive because of their size, like Mile High Comics and and right. and stuff like that. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to change comic convention culture noticeably. I think uh, the year after the last comic shop closes up, you're going to walk into a comic convention and it's going to feel very much like it did in 2019. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. I, more it's just the 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 idea that for me emotionally, I guess it will feel different that yeah. that ecosystem is not there anymore, you know? Yeah. Oh, emotionally, absolutely. Emotionally. but but. You, you'll be you'll be one of the few people uh, feeling it because <laughs> everybody else is there to get an autograph. You know how at the beginning of the show we were talking about the trauma of COVID is going to be with us for a while. I, yeah. I Can I talk about this? Because this yeah. is actually isolates what the, what this trauma is for me. So the disappearance of uh, the, the impending disappearance of floppies, the impending disappearance yeah. of a lot of comic book shops. By the way, the smarter ones also roll in. Hey, we're also a Magic the Gathering location or hey, right. we also sell right. a lot of pop culture or, you know, so I I'm not saying they're all going to go away. I'm just saying that the the ones that are comic focused and smaller are going to go away. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, one of the reasons why I identify with this trauma, even though, Brad, it impacts my business, not at all. It impacts my <laughs> right. customers or readers, not at all, uh, is I went through this trauma in the early 2000s as the death of my dream. I always wanted to be in comic oh, strips, in newspapers, yeah. and that was yeah. my dream. I wanted, I for decades I wanted to do that. And then slowly over a five year, 10 year period, I had to be like, oh wait, no, there's no money in that, and it's dying, and no one is reading this anymore, and the, uh, yeah. the every business that that supports this is going out of business. Rocky yes. Mountain News, Seattle Post Intelligencer, like pick a newspaper, gone, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And so I see what my friends in D.C. are going through right now because yeah. they can see the writing on the wall of like, no, I worked forever to get into the NBA and now right. all the stadiums are closing, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so it sucks. I, I guess what I'm saying is I feel that trauma even uh, from a distance, you know? Yeah. You know, and and, and uh, there's a lot to be learned from how you handled that trauma right <laughs> in other words instead of curling up into a ball you were like no actually this is an opportunity to go do this other thing right and i i, I if you let's let's say that there was a parallel universe uh, of you today versus you uh dave kellett as a syndicated cartoonist in a healthy newspaper landscape let's say you know uh early 90s okay okay uh who's the happier person you're you're let we'll even assume that the that the your uh, adjusted gross annual income is the same oh interesting right? interesting let's take the oh, money shit. off the table you're making the same money who is the happier person Wow, this is an interesting question. I yes, it is. Think me in this current yes. iteration. Yeah, I have no doubt. Now, I, I, I'll do tell you, know you why? why. I can I can write and draw whatever I want. Yes, in any format or size that I want, in any color yes. or presentational style that I want. I have direct interactions with my readers daily across multiple mediums: email, forums, blog posts, Twitter. 
Um, I don't have a boss and that's, I know that sounds dumb, but that's a big deal to me to not, like, even yeah. if it would have been a perfectly fine note, I would have taken the note, but like, fuck a second, fuck, you know, right. that kind of thing. Right. Uh, so, uh, my failures are my own. My successes are my own. And mm -hmm. I, you're right. I think if money was no object and money was no difference, how about you? Would Brad, I, well, oh, I, I know already that this happier, Brad Geiger would choose this path. Happier by a hundred, uh, by a hundred yards for the same reason. It's the question between having like three bosses and, uh, a, a 3000 bosses, you know, it's, 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 it's the fact that I would have gotten notes from editors. I would have had requests from any number of different higher ups that I would have had right. to listen to. Right. And I hate having to listen to things. Yeah. And I, I would have been nowhere as near as emotionally happy uh, as I am right now. Like this is, this is the best of all possible worlds. Well, and I'll tell you my personal experience with drive tells me that everyone that's working at DC, they can figure out how to make this model work because yes. what I'm producing is not worlds apart from what a team is producing at Image, for example, of an independent new title reaching a new audience and it's gonna be somewhere in the 400 page range when it's all done. You know, like what I'm doing with Drive is from a storytelling perspective, not that dissimilar from what Saga is doing from going from floppies then to trades and then to bigger hardcover collections mm -hmm. of trades. So I see an out for a lot of those DC artists. It's just going to be a weird five-year, 10-year transition for a lot of them. And yeah. they're going to have to become more of their own bosses. And I'll tell you who's been, in my, from my purview, who's been way out front on this. Maybe not the only ones, but these are the ones that, that I see the most. And that is, if you take a look at uh, Paper Films, which is uh, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, that, that creative team. Okay. Uh, they have transitioned uh, from being mainly uh, 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 artists and writers employed by the big two to being much more independent. You see them doing Kickstarters all the time. They're in, into an awful lot of, of uh, creator-owned properties and business and, and have, have uh, approached it with gusto. I think those two uh, and paper films as a, as a unit – is uh, 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 is really the ones to watch that it, I think they're among the vanguard of that group of people taking over their own business and and running creator owned uh, industries. I, I I get really excited even every time I see a new Kickstarter from them uh, because they are doing what I think everybody who is currently employed by DC and Marvel as uh, as you know contract artists and freelancers and so right. forth. I think they're all going to have to do what Amanda and Jimmy are doing. So I, I have a couple different points I want to add on to this. One, yeah. A, thank you for pointing out the, that team because I was not as familiar as, and I'm going to go check them out after the show. I kind of want to learn what they're doing. And maybe you can talk me through what they're doing. Um, B, I think this is good for comics in general in the sense that it's it's like plowing a field and allowing for rebirth in the sense that we're no longer going to get the 400th iteration of, okay, kids, he's got a green ring and it's susceptible <laughs> to yellow. It's a new story. Here we go. We're starting it again. His name is Guy Gardner. 
he's got a bad haircut. You know, that kind of thing. Um, like yeah, we don't, or, or, we're not or if gonna... I have to read one more story where the writer points out that Batman and Joker are just two sides of the same coin. You know what? All it takes, Batman, for you to be me is one bad day. <gasps> what an original idea that we've never heard before in Batman. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. yeah. No, but the idea that these stories have been worn out, you know, and and the, yeah. that's a re- there's a reason why everybody moves on at age 12 or so or 13 is because mm-hmm. you're like, I, okay, I get it. Uh, you know, Batman's real sad. His parents are dead. Yeah. All right, I'm moving on to the next story. Um, <laughs> well, and and then you get, you know, you, then you get an, a, these some of these messages ring so hollow to today's youth because my kids very, very quickly caught on to the point that if Bruce Wayne really wanted to help Gotham, it wouldn't be by dressing up as Batman. It would be by using his millions and billions of dollars to actually affect change in his civic environment. That's yeah. how he could do the best. And and like my, my 18 year old is like, Batman's a fascist. You know, there's, this is a clear fascist storyline. And, and and these kids are looking at this stuff uh, completely different. They've got a completely set of eyes and a lot of this, well, uh, you know, a billionaire who altruistically helps the the city, uh, they call bullshit on that on page one. They, and then they don't get to page two. They're like, screw that. Come on. Come on. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> Batman's a fascist. I never thought about that. But it is. It's an ego-driven move when you think about the yes. Wayne Foundation by helping with affordable housing changes Gotham within six months, you know? Right, and Get, a lot of people that would have turned into supervillains don't turn into supervillains because yeah, exactly. they got lives to lead. You realize that it's all ego-driven for Bruce Wayne. Anyway, um, what I'm getting at, though, is that, so my first point was, I want to check out that team that you mentioned. My second point yeah. was, we we all get to move away as a society. And, you know, th- those stories will still exist, uh, yeah. six to 12 year olds will still get their published DC and Marvel books. If we're honest about mm-hmm. it there, we know that's going to happen, but, uh, I think what will, what will change is a lot of these independent stories will, will transition into, um, truly independent business ownership opportunities. And what's mm-hmm. great about that is we've talked about this in the past and I, I, so I won't go too far into it, but every age has a type of cartoonist that succeeds. And yeah. not every cartoonist succeeds in every business model. And what we've talked about this in the past, where like the hate Ashbury business model of San Francisco, right? Schultz would not have succeeded with peanuts in the hate no. Ashbury model, right? Right. And also by the same token, Robert Crumb would not have succeeded in newspaper syndication. And no. so absolutely certain cartoonists will lose a career with the yeah. death of a DC or a Marvel or a floppy I- ecosystem. But mm-hmm. it will allow for new cartoonists that do flourish in that uh, in that environment. And frankly, there'll be newer independent stories told by fresh faces and and interesting angles. And I yeah. I don't know that that's it is sad in the sense that it is a hard transition to make. And I don't I feel for these cartoonists that are going to have to face it. But right. I think we're going to get a better ecosystem of storytelling that allows for because frankly, let's look at DC's hiring for the last ten years. It hasn't exactly been a stellar like uh, <sighs> representation no. of the, the the faces and places of America in terms of yes. DC's hiring of storytellers. So I think we have a better potential for a uh, for for newer voices coming onto the scene with DC. Um, oh, absolutely! Uh, I mean, that's what look at what happened in web comics. All of a sudden, you started to hear stories from a whole lot of people who weren't white men. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And all of a sudden, uh, the storytelling in general just uh, uh, flourished. 
uh, because all, there was a lot of people whose voices you didn't hear before. And I, I, I think that is also what you're going to see as a result of that. But because I love a good transition, I want to talk about uh, a, a comics artist and flourishing uh, because you and I were talking earlier about this wonderful page from the How to Draw Comics, the Marvel Way book, uh, illustrated by John Buscema. And it talked about how to draw, and, and in this case, he used as an example, how to draw a punch. And he drew this character basically following through on swinging a punch and, and making the point that the best pose were the ones that were the most exaggerated, the very, very beginning right. and the very, very end where he's gone all the way through this haymaker. He's unleashed and unfurled all of his muscles and he is all the way through it. And they kind of pointed out that most people, most artists, they draw the ones in between just before it connects with the jaw, just after it connects with the jaw. Right. right. And Buscema said, uh, the best action poses are the most exaggerated poses. And, uh, and I think there's a lot there that, that, uh, uh, that we kind of take for granted as artists and need to remind ourselves as artists. Yeah. I, one of the reasons why, uh, I was so happy to have this conversation with you the other day is, um, for me, I can, I can isolate moments, especially like in drive that I chose the wrong microsecond, if that makes sense where had yeah. I chosen one microsecond later or one microsecond earlier, it would have been a way more impactful pose. And that's one of the tiny little learnings you get as you go through a 10, 20 year career as you go, okay, younger Dave, I see why you made that choice. It's because you knew how to draw the arm from that angle. But right, had you right, just right. taken an extra 20 minutes you and tried to figure out- You were just doing what you could. <laughs> yeah, you were, doing, you were doing your best, champ. I get it. Um, but the older Dave looks back and goes, you know what though? Had I just pick, uh, taken the time to learn a slightly different uh, arm angle with maybe some foreshortening yeah. that I didn't know how to do at that time, or maybe with a little mm -hmm. bit of, uh, you know, a perspective that maybe I didn't know how to do, um, it would have been a, a far more impactful moment of a punch cycle or a throwing a ball yeah. cycle or even a walk cycle or, a, a, you know, whatever, whatever cycle you want to describe for the human action. And yeah. Buscema really nails it. Uh, and also I will recommend for, for people not familiar with that page, so flip onto that one, but also uh, Scott McCloud in his book, Making Comics, somewhere in the front third, I think, he has a really, really good description of how to choose moments in like, let's say there's 15 seconds in a character's arc of he, I think he describes it as a character spots a key, they bend down, they pick up the key, they slowly raise their body back up, they straighten themselves up, and then they use the key to open the door. And he has a really good description of like, what are the best moments to grab in a, in a sequential story yeah, And it's it's a great lesson for all of us to sort of remind ourselves that there are key, unique moments that can truly distill a story down. And it, yeah. it's not to your benefit to pick the wrong one, basically. And Buscema's story, Brad, um, one of the things that I liked about his the energy of where he, he pack, packs the punch is not only does it tell the story, but it tells the story to completion, if that makes sense, from that one mm -hmm. frame. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... If you pick the frame where Captain America is, because it's always it's always the, the classic example is there's like 40 covers from a time period where Captain America is punching Hitler. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there's literally there's so many covers where Captain America, take that Hitler, you know, we're coming for you. <laughs> and uh, 
there's so many examples of it, but the ones that stand out are all part of a family where the apex of Captain America's punch is at completion, as Brad was saying. It's yeah. not him connecting with Hitler's jaw. The best ones are always Hitler's off flying ass akimbo and uh, the, right. the punch is at completion. Like his, his arm is at full extension. His shoulder is rotated down. Um, because that tells the whole story of cause and effect in that one frame, not three microseconds earlier. And that's where you really have to, and that's where you really have to take a look at this as a visual storyteller, because most of very, very often your job in that panel is to do what Dave just said. Although I will say there are times, some of the panels, you don't want that. Some of the panels you want just oh. before the action. What do you mean? Right? I'm fascinated and, by this. Okay. Well, this is, this is, for example, you're going to, this happens often in humor because what you want is to, because humor is based on tension and release, the job of that panel is to build the tension. So right. you might have something just about to happen. You might have a stack of books just about to teeter over and fall on the person's head. You might have the anvil hanging by a thread just about to break, right? And, and those panels are all about building tension. Sometimes you want the moment before the moment because you, you, want, to, you want to put that reader in an, oh my God, situation. Yeah. This is about to happen. Yeah. Okay. So listen, I, I see what you're saying and a part of me agrees with you, but a part of me wants to be argumentative because I think Buscema's idea that the apex of action is another way of saying highest potential kinetic energy and highest release of potential kinetic energy, right? Uh -huh. And so in drama, that relates to the furthest Captain America pulls back to punch Hitler. And then the opposite is none of the punch moments in between, but the farthest extension of his arm with his shoulder rolled forward and Hitler going ass akimbo, uh, because yeah. that's the, the maximum release of kinetic energy. I would argue that the same is true for comedic setups, like you're talking about in terms of uh, choosing key frames, because the books teetering, but not yet falling, are actually the highest possible <sighs> kinetic energy moment that you could choose. If the books yes. were stable and sitting on the on the on the shelf, that kinetic that potential energy is not there. When they're right. teetering, that's the highest moment of potential energy. You know what I'm saying? Yep. No, you you are absolutely right. Because both are about tension and release, both the drama yes. and the and the uh, the comedy. But if you look at it not not just as apex of action, but also apex of energy, either potential energy or kinetic energy, I think that's a good relation that both comedy and drama rely on the same kind of key frames uh, in terms of choosing the moment. I'm sorry, and I'm getting yeah. excited because I'm actually kind of <laughs> I, I didn't realize no. we we're going to get to this, and I think there's some truth to this. You're absolutely right. Well, I mean, it's it's if you take a look at that John Buscema illustration, and and I mean, if you just draw, if you put exaggerated Buscema illustration <laughs> into Google, like oh I just God, did, no. if you type in exaggerated Buscema illustration, you're going to get some pictures. Let me just tell you, <laughs> that guy could draw. He could draw, uh, but. It's, it's, it's this, it, you, we've seen this illustration reprinted and reposted so many times is what I'm saying. You'll see it. And what that is, it's an illustration of tension and release mm -hmm. on the, the one, the, the, the wind up is tension and the follow through is release. And mm -hmm. the question you're asking yourself as an artist is what am I trying to, uh, attempt with this panel? Is it about, a, is it a tension panel 
or is it a release panel? And then what Buscema says is, if you're going to do either one of them, do it to 100%. Don't do it halfway. <laughs> you know, if you're right. going to release, you release. And if you're going to tension, then you tench. I, I'm going to put this in a different perspective that I th- I think might be helpful. Brad, you can tell me if I'm, yeah. if I'm off the wrong page here. So part of when you're starting a, a story, brand new story, whether it's a script, whether it's a comic, whether it's a novel, when you're starting on page one, the question you always have to ask yourself as a writer is, why today? Why yeah. does the story have to start today? Not just like, why are you writing? But why does the story have to start today? What's important right now? And a version of that is the same thing that we're talking about right now in terms of choosing the key moment that that expresses, uh, like we talked about, either potential energy or kinetic energy, why that moment is a version of why what we have to ask ourselves when we start page one of a story, why today? Yeah. You know, it's like, why is this yes. key moment important? Because someone is reeling back and about to punch somebody. That's a lot of potential problem because these books are about to fall. That's a lot of potential problem comedically. Yeah. And so it's a version of why today? And that's, that's yes. a really helpful question as a storyteller, no matter what you're writing and what you're drawing. Absolutely. And the answer of why today, most often from a writing aspect is it's probably not the right place to start. <laughs> you know, like it's so many times I, I just got done with another semester of storytelling and I, 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 I grading the finals. It was, it was like, so often it was like, don't start at the beginning, <laughs> whatever you do, don't start at the chronological beginning. That's not the best part to, to start. Don't start on that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get me interested at first, then fill right. me in on the rest of that right. stuff. You know, why today is is a great way to put that. Well, it's funny because you look at any of the it's always easiest to pick stories we all know. So pick Lord of the Rings or pick Star Wars or pick, you know, whatever story you want. Uh, but when you ask why today, you see like the reason why uh, it started not when Frodo first met Gandalf way back when he was a kid and he liked fireworks. But when uh, Gandalf needed to come start new action, that's why Tolkien picked today. Or why why did we first check in with Luke Skywalker when he finally decided, fuck it, I'm leaving this two-horse town. Actually, there are no yeah. horses at all. <laughs> it's a no-horse town. <laughs> I'm leaving this no-horse town. But that was the reason why we started today with that story, because both had yeah. made the decision, either Gandalf or, or Luke, that new action needed to be started. And that's why today was the day to start that story there, you know? Absolutely. Well, listen, Dave, today is the day that we need to answer at least one question from our Patreon backers. <laughs> have we done no questions? Have we These done have none? All been our topics. Oh, well, my no, actually, I think 2014 was was a topic yes, pitched yes, by yes. a uh, by a Patreon backer. But I've got one just for us to finish the show up with, because I think we can do this relatively quickly. Comes in from Alexi and Alexi says, I'm having a lot of fun writing a new comic strip idea I had. One of the jokes references a visual from a previous strip. It's not really important for the joke to make sense, but what are your thoughts on referencing previously established visuals when it's not a long-form comic? Where's the line between long-form and short-form, in other words? Uh, so so the question is, Dave, he's uh, got this idea. It references a previous comic. Is that a is that a stopper for you or or is it is it no big deal? Well, a part of this might be subjective to the way and the and the means that you're doing this, but I think in general, no, I, I actually think this is one of the the small little joys of of regularly updating short form comics is that they can have little callbacks to characters, to moments, to fan favorites, 
Not always, but I think sprinkle it in over a six, 12, 18 month period, one or two of those, I think is delightful yeah. fan reward for the folks that come daily or come weekly or whatever it is. Um, Brad, how about you? What do you think about these little repeating gags or whether it's sight gags or character gags or that kind of thing? Well, I, I, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because really for me, it's about audience size. In other words, uh, that kind of stuff is fun and it's great. Uh, but on and and if it's truly, truly not necessary to understanding the joke, then fine. Uh, but when you do pull something back from a previous comic, uh, and and it, and if it has any kind of impact on the writing at all, you know that you're probably not going to be building audience with that particular strip or that particular comic. You might be leaving a few people out. Oh, right? I see. Yeah, yeah. And by the way. It's okay if you do a strip that's that's not audience building, right? It's, it's like it's some some strips I did that were supposed to be audience building strips weren't audience building. It was just a right. swing and a miss, right? Right. And as long as you take that on and say, I know that this one isn't going to be uh, that great for audience building, that's fine. Just own that. Uh, and the bigger your audience eventually becomes the easier it is to do that kind of callback comic because there's going to be a larger number of people who are most likely to remember that visual reference, right? right. And the more right. people you've got that are there to remember it, the more people you're making happy. I wouldn't try to do this in my first opening week or my first opening year even, right? Uh, because that's when I'm really focused on audience building and I'm going to take fewer chances but if you've got one and it delights you and it makes you happy and you want to put it up, put it up. Just be honest to, uh, and reasonable about the fact that that one it just might not uh, be one that converts a number of people to your uh, comic that day and then do another one the next day. You know, it's it's not the end of the world either. Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, examples that I can think of where it was, it was done to great delight were, yeah. um, Stefan Passis with the crocodiles in his comic strip, um, Scott Kurtz with the panda in his comic strip. I think even, uh, let's talk about long form saga with that little seal that keeps popping up in the story. That's basically just comedic, uh, um, uh, you know, palate cleanser. All right. those work really well to be a reward for the people that have stuck with the story or stuck with the comic strip or stuck with the title. Yes. Um, and it's 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 fun for the artist. As Brad says, you just recognize that those moments aren't the building moments, but in some respects, they're the cementing moments where mm -hmm. you really lock in that it's worthwhile to stick around. It's worthwhile to be a, a true fan of this and not just a casual fan of this. Um, yeah. So for certain kinds of personalities, you may not bring in new folks, but you really lock them in with stuff like that. So, right. Yeah. Um, they're like, oh, I'm glad I stuck with this. This has been rewarding, you know? Yeah. And uh, one other thing I will mention is there are a few artists and one of whom I can think of is uh, Dan Peraro with Bizarro. And yeah. the other one, um, what's his nuts, who used to do theater illustrations for Broadway. Uh, I always forget his name. Oh, yeah. And and he put Nina Hirschfeld. Hirschfeld. Thank you. God, I always Hirschfeld, forget yeah. Hirschfeld. Um Hirschfeld, brilliant artist. Sorry. Oops, sorry, Hirschfeld. <laughs> Although I think he's dead now. Um, yeah. Uh, Hirschfeld would always include both for his daughter, but also as a growing joke with all his fan base, Nina in his comic strip. And mm -hmm. uh, Dan Perraro would always include, I think it was like an, a slice of apple pie, a clock. A UFO with an alien. Yeah, there was all kinds of little things. The the Mad Magazine artists would also do stuff like that, where they put little like jo inside jokes 
for their reader, recurring readers. And so I think you, with the recognition, again, that you don't gain any new readers with that, but I do think mm-hmm. you cement the relationship with stuff like that. And it's also yeah. fun for you as a creator. So like Brad, I think you don't do it during the first year. And when you do do it, you just make sure you don't go nuts. You just sprinkle right. it in. You don't, you don't go over the top. And, and be honest with yourself about whether you need to know it to understand, especially if you're doing humor, whether you need this information or not, be honest with yourself. Cause sometimes we let ourselves off the hooks. Like, Oh, they don't need to know that. <laughs> you yeah, know, sometimes, no, I, sometimes you end up confusing people because they either it's just as confusing to give, to not give them information as to give them information they don't need. And then if your joke doesn't land solid, the oh first God. place they go to is that information they didn't need. And they think it's about that. You yes. know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's a yeah, yeah, whole yeah. thing that can happen there. So it's, it's tricky. That's it's a, tricky, that's a whole listen. conversation too, about prop choice and background choice. Like oh. you might think it's whimsical and I've done this myself some, yes. even recently it's whimsical to include X, Y, Z into the comic strip. Well, any data or information that yes. would normally be in a situation, if you include it, people think that it's key information. They think it's Chekhov's gun suddenly that it's going right. to be of importance and they need to remember it, you know? So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm with Brad on that, 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 uh, you want to make sure that it doesn't become that situation. Absolutely. And with that, you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Your hosts have been my delightful friend, Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my good, close, personal friend, Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and Drive at drivecomic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song was used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we'll go ahead and say that trice, patreon.com slash comic lab. Brad, I just think that uh, this haircut on me is just a harbinger of better days. A har- harbinger. It's a, it's a harbanger of what? It's now? a harbanger. That's why I thought it was a drink. It sounds like a wall yeah. wall banger. Har- yeah, it, Harvey it, well, that was called a Harvey wall banger. I don't even know. I all I know that Harvey wall banger is the name. I don't know what, even what's in it, but I know Harvey you can Wallbanger order it. Harvey wall banger sounds like an adult film star. That's not. That doesn't sound like a drink. It sounds like it, it sounds like something very different, like a nineteen seventies adult film star. Not even a good, like, they always had, like, (laughs) unsexy names like Harvey, you know? Harvey. Uh, Harvey. Can you imagine? uh, That's an unfortunate. This is my husband. Harvey. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I just thought of a joke that would uh, would get me in trouble, so I'm not going to say it. But, yeah, Harvey is a bad name.